Hello, and welcome to another episode of Endeavors. On today's show, I speak with actress and writer Precious Chong. That's all coming up on Endeavors. You're listening to Endeavors Radio with your host from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, Dan McPeak. When one thinks of great comedy to come out of Canada or Canadian comedic institutions, a few come to mind. SCTV, for example, and Kids in the Hall. Then you have characters like Bob and Doug McKenzie. But in the 70s and 80s, there was another great duo, Cheech and Chong consisting of Cheech Marin and Canadian Tommy Chong. They were one of the first comic duos, first acts to openly preach about marijuana. Although their heyday ended in the 80s, both are still acting today. And like many performers, their kids have also gotten in on the action. Tommy Chong, for example, has several kids uh, in the business. Most notably, Ray Dong Chong, who has appeared in the films Quest for Fire, Beat Street, The Color Purple, Commando, Boulevard, and Time Runner, uh, and has been a regular on the TV show Wild Card, uh, recurred on Mysterious Ways, uh, and has guested in Melrose Place, Deadly Skies, That's So Raven, and 911. As well, Robbie Chong is also in the business, as well as Tommy's adopted son, Marcus. But there's there's another Chong child who has also been working for many, many years as both a writer and an actress. Precious Chong is the daughter of Tommy and his second wife, Shelby, uh, and has appeared in such fare as LA Confidential, Pearl Harbor, Show Me Yours, Flashpoint, Against the Wall, and rather accidentally, in Trailer Park Boys, don't legalize it. Earlier this year, uh, she was seen in the lovely Canadian indie film Luba, um, and if you've been listening for a while, you may recall that uh, in January, uh, I spoke with uh, the director of Luba, Kaylee Wilson, uh, as well as one of the stars, Brianna Daguano. Precious Chong uh, is in a new film, which she also co-wrote uh, with her co-star and director, called Homewrecker. Uh, and it's a great sort of little horror comedy satire uh, about basically a, about a lonely woman. Um, as Precious says, they basically sh shot the entire thing at her house. Uh, and so I, I got to talk with Precious about that, you know, what it was like being the child of Tommy Chong and how she 
accidentally came to be in the Trailer Park Boys movie. This is my conversation with Precious Chong. Are you in LA or Toronto? I'm in Toronto. Where oh, are no. you? Uh, I'm in Victoria. Oh, you're in Victoria. Yeah. How's that? Good. It's uh, we're at, we just went into phase three, so we're actually doing pretty well. Yeah, you guys BC did really well. <laughs> did yeah. well. Well, it's on Toronto, was, not so yeah. much. Well, I, I was living in Toronto um, up until March, and then once once everything locked down, uh, I basically flew home, and then now back in my parents' basement. Perfect. <laughs> Right now, I'm actually at my sister's place, but uh, oh, okay. Just for just for a little weekend getaway, you know, change. Nice, nice change scenery, but uh, yeah. In Victoria, still in Victoria. Yes, yes. Just uh, oh, yeah, just cool. kind of north north of my parents' place. So nice. Yeah, my extended family is from Vancouver. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so my aunt is there, and my cousins, and we usually go there for Christmas and sometimes summer. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, I spent I spent nine years living in Vancouver before I uh, before I went to Toronto. So, yeah, yeah, Toronto is in phase two. Yeah, I think they they just opened like a couple of days ago. What I heard. So yeah, I I, I mean I'm not going to go to a restaurant or anything. No, or like, no. It's, it's like it's not worth it. I did not. get my hair my roots done though, so that was nice. <laughs> yeah, no, I I have to come back next month just to you know. Cause I gave up my, I gave up my place. So I have to, you know, come back and just get a few of the larger things like a bike and, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you're done with Toronto. That's it. Well, I don't know. Like we'll see. I mean, I, you know, I do have like a couple of film projects going on there, but um, it's, it's definitely safer to stay in BC at least for right now. So, and if I can live rent free, I might as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, so, it's, I get you. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, let's talk about Homewrecker, huh? Sure. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Uh, I just finished watching it, and I I know. Uh, so you, this was your baby, along with your co-star uh, Alex Essen and the director uh, Zach. And I know it was sort yeah. of based on his idea. Uh, how did how did the three of you sort of go about crafting this story? Yes, Alex Esso. Yes. So Alex and Zach have been friends for years. And then they, I worked with Zach on a couple of things. I've known him for like seven years. And so then we wanted to find a project to do together. And uh, Zach had this idea, a kind of a rough outline. And so um, Alex and I and, and Zach, we were all in LA uh, around the same time. And we met and we did all the story beats. And then Zach and I were back in Toronto and we um, sort of banged out the actual screenplay and we would send versions uh, to, El to Alex in LA. And then, yeah, so that's basically how it, it came about. It was pretty fast because we had my house to shoot in and my boyfriend was going on vacation. <laughs> so, so from February, from the story beats, cause I was in LA doing uh, celebrity feud with my family. So okay. And then um, from the script, we started writing the script in um, like May and we shot it in end of June. So it was pretty fast. And you, you mentioned that you, you used your house and the whole film or, you know, 95% of the film, I would say, takes place at that location. How, 
was that always the plan to, to sort of self-contain it in one location? Because that makes things everything easier for shooting. Yeah, I mean, my goal was to make a full-length feature that that year, and um, yeah, we had. And once I said, um, you know, you could use my house, and I was going to renovate my kitchen anyways. So, so then it was like, yeah, we could afford it. Otherwise, I don't think we would. It was like, how can we make a movie um, as cheaply as possible, but still make it fun? Uh. I, I read online somewhere this film was sort of described as as pop horror in a way, which, which I kind of get. Um, but it's it's a great it's a great satire. Um, what why is horror like? Why is that genre so effective at sort of poking fun at a lot of pop culture things and you know societal norms and lifestyles? Yeah, I I it is right. It is. It's like well, I mean. Jordan Peele is like has been the, become the master of it, really. Um, I think it's it's a subversive genre, so um, you can address things in an entertaining, fun way that doesn't feel like hammering it in, and it can be. Um, there's something playful about it. I feel someone described it recently. And this is my favorite description so far as the shining meets 16 candles. And I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can actually see where they're coming from you know, with that. Um, I, but I also noticed there, there's a great moment when, when the two of you are, uh, in, in the games room playing, uh, party hunks and, sort of that, that lovely emotional conversation um, that, that Linda and Michelle have. And it's, it's this tonal shift that, that, that you don't even really know. It, it, it very much ease into it. What kind of discussions went around between the three of you about the tone you wanted to set for the movie and, and how to approach that, that change? Because that, that can be very tough for a movie to do sometimes. Yeah, I, I think... Um... I, well, a couple things. Zach was like adamant that the game it has to be playable. <laughs> so, so we spent a, a lot of time working on that game, and like you know, you can actually play party hunks. So that was one part. And then I think um, there's an intimacy to that scene, which I think we just sort of wanted to get to. It's almost like the slumber party scene, you know, where you kind of are like, start to share your secrets. Um, I'm not really sure if we consciously decided to marry those things together or it just sort of uh, organically happened. But I think it's a very, uh, that sort of intimacy is very specific to women, I think, in a way. Um, even if you're not exactly like friends with someone, it's, there's some, there's so much sharing that happens, which I think we really tapped into, which I loved. I'm curious, you know, given that the film was largely just, just you and Alex, was there any improv involved or was it all scripted to a T? You know, we wrote it, there's some improv, but we wrote it to like usually when when Zach and I would work together we did like we shot sketches that I did and so there was tons of improv so we went into it thinking oh yeah we'll we'll have room to play and then we realized pretty quickly that we didn't have time or room to play that so it pretty much ended up being the script we wrote which is surprising like I was surprised by that I thought we would have lots of like you know Cassavetes-esque like improv but but we didn't have time we we had to like 
you know, get it done. Uh, you play the character of Linda, who I, you know, I guess is maybe lamenting the fact that the younger generation isn't as personable or, you know, and, but I'm curious because we all know, you know, Alinda and that name, I think, was that name intentional? Because uh, I think along with Karen, Linda's one of those names that you hear about, like the sort of, you know, the, the white middle-aged lady on Facebook, maybe commenting on something that, that she shouldn't comment on. Yeah, totally. You know, it is funny because before Zach was really adamant about the name Linda. And then I coincidentally um, had made a short based on my, I teach stand up, and one of my students, her alter ego was Linda. Like when she, she's like in her early 20s, but when she gets drunk, she would just call herself Linda because <laughs> it was like an older woman's name. And so we, I, I wrote a, sh a short film. Uh, based on her story and um zach was like can we not call her linda like linda i guess had like some sort of charge for him and i think you're right i think it is has like a karen-esque feel um although karen as we know karen to be wasn't as big as it was when we wrote it in 2018 but now it's like people have described that character as a as a karen and i i see what they're coming from <laughs> Why do you think, you know, we, we, she, she mentions how Michelle's like always on her phone or, you know, this, this idea of, of not, not being face to face. What do you think we're, we're missing these days in, in personal relationships that maybe we, that we had 20 years, you know, 15, 20 years ago or, or has changed since then? Um, you know, I don't know if we are missing anything, really. I mean, I think that just feels that way as you get older, um, because you are, I'm feeling it now, it's like you're no longer as relevant as you thought you were. Um, I mean, I think in quarantine, I've talked to my friends on the phone way more than I used to, which I think is kind of nice. Like, I used to talk to my best girlfriends on the phone for a long time and then I just never did and now there's back to that so there is an element of that kind of just talking on the phone that I think we we kind of lost maybe and um and then the false sense of connection on social media right you feel like you're connecting with people but you're not really you know one of the aspects I wanted to ask you about was was the outfit that Linda wears, like when she's in that workout <laughs> outfit. And that yes. headband strikes me as very kind of, you know, like 80s, like early 90s, you know, yeah. along with the, the video aspect of, of party hunks. What was the discussion of, of coming up with that outfit? And was that sort of a way to make it, oh, this is Linda still being stuck in the past? Like it was sort of related to that. Yeah, you know, I wish I could say like it was really like thought out, but honestly, we shot, we, Alex and I, how we kind of got into character and part of just like necessity is we went to buy our own wardrobe and um, literally I was in, we were in line waiting to pay and I just saw the bright colors and I was like, oh, that's so, that, that, that seems right. And, um, I bought the outfit, like the bright top and the pants. And then um, I wanted to find something to match a headband. And it just kind of was like, oh, this is like Rambo meets Jane Fonda. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I actually felt like, oh, yeah, this this fits. This is crazy. This is Jane Fonda. Um, but I didn't really think I didn't go out to buy it. It just kind of right. uh, 
yeah, it happened. But you're right. It did really help me find my character. Like it really did. I was like, oh yeah, this is Linda. I'm feeling it. <laughs> you know, along that note, how much did color color scheme and, and aesthetic play a part in creating of the film because you have that outfit and then you know there are certain scenes like when she's in the basement or or the photography room that sort of ha have a different kind of hue to it what sort of discussions happen about the the overall tonality of the film in, in that way yeah um well you know we didn't really uh, couldn't afford an art director um so I was doing it and it's, it's, some of it is in just my aesthetic in my house. Like I like vintage, I like nostalgia, blah, blah, blah. But I also just thought that, <clears throat> I think the idea was like, oh, let's make a horror movie that's really bright and like colorful and like weird. So that, I thought that was one intention. I really liked the way, I mean, we just went to Valley Village and like got stuff and I had stuff in my closet, but I think, um, I think the movie progressively gets a little darker, especially when she's in the red room. And then I also think like the party hunks in the basement is like felt more, I, that's very nostalgic. Um, so I think we were trying to create mood with whatever environment we had. And, and Delaney, our, our DP was, cause I, uh, now my walls are, are colored, but there was a lot of white walls. He's like, I can't deal with these white walls. So we were constantly putting stuff up to, to create ambiance. I, mean, so I hope know, that answers your question. Yeah. Well, I, I made a note about, uh, early on in the film, you know, like, I think when they're walking to your car, you, you sort of call it a man for, not really, not really doing anything. And one of the characters, I think I would describe it as sort of this over the top feminism that, you know, that, that Linda has. Is, is that a specific commentary on, you know, the, that maybe the, the SJWs that we see percolating the internet or, or sort of these, these, you know, maybe the, the older generation saying, oh, you, you know, you younger generation don't know anything or don't know as much as you think you do? a comment on that i think it's a it was a way of showing like almost like a tourette's like almost like oh this woman is a little off um and i also think it's like <laughs> it's like perimenopausal rage that we were sort of <laughs> right right <laughs> playing on um so yeah that's where it was coming from like like when she calls that cute little baby like the mama cunt yeah it's like that like <laughs> wait a minute and then they're like oh i'm just kidding and and sort yeah. of like like the hints of like ew like maybe more some menace i think that's yeah. what we were more doing i i know a lot of actors dream of playing you know unhinged or or or, or slightly crazy uh characters what was what was the best part about getting to explore that personality yeah it was um uh, well, I was so excited to be, you know, to have, be the, be the sledgehammer wielding crazy person. That was fun. Even though, you know, it was fun to uh, go there. And really, especially like when I was doing the stay song, like it was, it was fun to sort of be in fantasy and not have to um, feel like, oh, I better not do it because I have to look pretty or I have to look normal. Um, I think my, actually my default is crazy. So <laughs> it's easier for me to not, I don't want to say it's easier for me to go crazy, but there is a freedom and, right. and being so 
kind of uncontained. You, you mentioned the song and I want to ask you about that because in a way it seems like kind of out of left field and out of place, but then you realize, yeah. no, because she's just like, she's just completely gone. Um, <laughs> was that always in the script, the, the decision to, to include that? Where, where did that come from? Yeah, it, w- it was in a really early brainstorm. I feel like as I've been talking about the movie with people, I feel like that was um, when we came upon came upon the song um, in our when we were talking about the movie. It was like, oh my god, what if it was shot like that, or what if this is her fantasy? And and it was kind of like the key to unlocking like what we what the tone is, what we were trying to reach. So early on, we were committed to doing the song, and it took a huge amount of our budget. And, uh, and, you know, obviously when we shot it, it was a little bit different than I had imagined it in my mind, but, but the idea, the impulse of like her, um, sort of that sort of the tropes of romance and the idealism and the hope of that song and how she feels, but then kind of with the, with the, you know, kind of scary, (laughs) scary lady. I just watched um, Last Picture Show again. Have you seen that movie? No, but that's that's the one with the, the the Bridges brothers, right? And Michelle Pfeiffer. Not Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, oh come on, Peter Bogdanovich. I always Murphy. No, not uh, what's her name? Candace Can- Bergen. Nope. Come on, uh, look it up. Fa- what is fabulous, it? fabulous Baker Boys. No, that's Michelle Pfeiffer. She's too young. Oh, la- Last Picture Show, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, I, I got don't this know why. No, it's uh, Jeff Bridges, Ellen Burstyn, Cloris Leachman, Sybil Shepherd. Sybil Shepherd, yeah. There we go, yeah. I don't know why. Anyways, um, so yeah, that, the, well, it's actually the last scene with Cloris Leachman. It's a really good movie, but it's sort of about like the theme of like aging and, and youth and getting older and holding right. on to the past. I don't know. Just remind me of that. And I've been listening to this podcast. Uh, you must remember this. Right. A, yeah. it, do you know that podcast? I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really good. Anyways, they're, they're doing this whole series on Polly Platt, who used to be married to Peter Bogdanovich. So anyways, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. You, you mentioned about getting older and online, we, we sort of see this, this manufactured war between the generations between like boomers and millennials or millennials and zoomers or, you know, and then Gen X is caught in the middle. Um, yeah. what, what, what do you make about all that and specifically how that relates to maybe Michelle and Linda's relationship? Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, <clears throat> I think I wanted, we wanted to talk about aging in the movie. Like that's something, cause I, that's an issue that I'm dealing with in my life. So I was like, let me, let me like examine that part, the fear of aging, the feeling of being invisible. Um, uh, and then the contrast with, with me envying Michelle and her future of her life. Um, but like, I think more people watching it have to have, cause, because there is that whole, um, okay, boomer, younger generation divide. Uh, but I am not a boomer. <laughs> I'm a Generation X. Yes. But of course I get ignored because that's what happens with Generation X. <laughs> what, you know, you, you talked about, about aging and sort of, 
I guess, commentating on that. And we're, we're seeing a lot of things about, you know, oh, take, take this or take that or, you know, what it, what it means to aging and trying to, you know, let's, let's extend our, our life by this. What do you make of, of the conversation that is happening around what it means to get older? I mean, honestly, like for myself, it's a, it's my whole life. Um, my, my grandma used to lie about her age. My mom, like there's like a, I wouldn't say obsession with age, but there's definitely a consciousness of like getting older and getting older is bad in my own upbringing. And then in the, in the world, I think, I mean, especially in the, in the industry, ageism just exists it's just how it is you know what i mean after 40 a woman i mean thank god i i was able to make this movie because after 40 the you there aren't a lot of well there are but you're if you're famous you get to do the really cool parts but it's harder to find parts that are interesting yeah you know at at the end of the film we we sort of learn the truth about you know linda's the man linda is seeing or or, or the man linda desires um, and I think we're slowly starting to, to see more films about female want and, and, and female desire. Why do you think it's, it's taken so long to portray that so accurately? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, well, okay, a couple things. For me, I think, of course, he's this, he's the reason why the movie happens, but he's also kind of insignificant in the big picture. That's a weird thing about, I think, sometimes women are more obsessed with each other in terms of men than, than the actual men. The men are just the byproduct of the women comparing and contrasting each other or wanting to connect. Um, I think it's because um, it's scary for people to think of older women or w women over 30 as sexual especially in the north america and then i also think um it's because now there's more female writers and more female point pov i mean i think that's what changes it what do you what do you think then this, this film says about love and dating it, you know especially for you know <laughs> don't do it <laughs> <laughs> don't do it no what, what do you mean what, what... well just you know because you know, we, we see that Michelle's married and that, you know, Linda is maybe missing, missing something or longs or something in that regard. And, you know, they, they, they always say that, oh, it, it's difficult to, to date when you're, you know, a woman over 40, but if you're a man over 40, oh, it's super easy. Um, yeah. Um, I don't, I didn't consciously write about that. I mean, honestly, I think in some ways that there's more of Zach in the romance story that we portray um, than, than my own personal point of view. Um, but what I would say about what I think thematically that I, I tried to put in there is there's difference between romance or ideas about romance and actual relationships. And I think with Linda, she's stuck and so she can never really have a relationship because she's stuck in this idea of romance. And I think that's what I'm making fun of, the satire of, of, Lisa, of Lisa Loeb and, you know, self-help books and this sort of 
bill of goods that we were sold when we were younger that even in party hunks, that's kind of not true. And she can't let go of. Do you think as a society, we have the wrong idea about romance and about what love is? I mean, I think that industries are sold, like are built on a lot of that. I mean, for myself, um, you know, I went through like, you know, infidelity and marriage and divorce and, you know, my ideas of what my romance would be in my 20s is very different to what I'm living in my life. And I think the sooner I was, I was able to just be okay with it, and it took a long time, the easier it was, but yeah. You know, this, this, this is such a, a female-centric story, and the third member of your team is, is a man, Zach. Uh, I'm just curious about, you know, what he brought to the table in, in, in crafting this story and, and sort of how, how you bounced ideas off each other, you know, given that it, the, this is a story about, about women. Oh, that's another good question. Um, I think, uh, you know, he, he, Alex and I brought a lot of ourselves to it and he opened, was open to that. I mean, um, he, he was, he was very, um, he had some specific ideas that he really wanted in there, like all of the magnets and, and the, the truth serum. There's lots of spoilers. Um, so he brought, and, and the split screen, he had ideas of, of like technical stuff. Um, and then he was also very, we, it was pretty collaborative. Um, he, you know, we fought a lot during the shoot, but in a way that was like creative and pressure filled, but, but it was, it was pretty, I never felt like, um, I couldn't express my ideas. And I think he, he's pretty open that way. I mean, it is kind of funny that he ended up directing such a girly movie. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of, um, phys physicality, uh, mm -hmm. in, in the film. What was the conversations with the three of you about, you know, the, the fighting and, and, and the grappling and, and sort of how, how that was all going to be portrayed and constructed? Oh, well, when we wrote it, we thought it would be funny to use, you know, things that are in a house and girly and like, you know, curling irons and whatever we found. And then we had a stunt coordinator, Sarah Murphy Dyson, who helped us do some of the the bigger fight scenes in initially and like the fall down the stairs um it was hard honestly it was a lot of cuts a lot of like because we were in a tiny hallways and you know shooting really close and not hurting each other i mean you know it, it i probably would have we probably would have been different if we'd had like a week of rehearsal but we didn't there, we just there's had to do it there's a line in the film where Linda says she basically just wants the truth and Michelle's trying to tell her and, and she's not basically believing her side of the story. And I think we're seeing a, a quite a lot of that um, online and in society when it comes to certain things, like whether it's about information about, you know, the pandemic or, or politics or whatever is have, have we lost our new, our nuance in a way or, or is truth subjective? I think the truth is very subjective. I mean, I think that's what 
And I think, well, it's weird nowadays, we are in such an echo chamber of our own social media and our own feeds. So we don't really see outside of our own group as much as we, you know, as we used to, I guess. Um, so I don't know if that answers the question. You know, but along that note, M Michelle is very, I think, reluctant to talk about her marital problems or whatever conversation they're having. And it, it feels like today, like, people, you know, make these long posts on Facebook, or whatever, but like, hey, this thing's happening. But in person, they often don't know how to, to talk about these issues face to face. I have a perfect example about that. So I was working with this girl at, in casting, and she's in her 20s. And she seemed a bit off. And I was like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I was in the hospital. And I'm like, oh my God, what happened? Are you okay? And she's like, I don't want to get into it. I'm just going to write a post. Like she would rather just share it as a post than talk to me about it. And I was so like freaked out. I was like, that's weird. But that was like, I think for her, it was easier and less exhausting to just share it that way rather than just tell me about it. What, why, why, do you, why do you think it is? Is because maybe putting it online makes it seem like you, you create a distance between yourself and that problem and it's, and it's less personable? I have no idea. I maybe, I mean, the cynical part of me is like, is this, is, is this issue currency? Like, do you know what I mean? And, or you're right. Like maybe there's something that's easier to be more, um, open and less veiled online for people who are younger. Like I, I know I sound, and I notice it in my friends. I know I sound sometimes online. I, I'm not comfortable sharing, I, in a, I sound stilted. I, it's not a, it's not a um, unless I'm like making jokes or being funny, it's not a uh, comfortable um, way of communicating for me. But I think people who have, have grown up around it, I don't know, how do you, what is, what's your take on it? Do you feel? Yeah, I mean, like as, as a writer, I can, un I can understand why it's easier for some people to just type everything out, you know, because, and oftentimes I, I just think it, it's our culture, like, especially with young people, they are, they're working so much and so hard and don't have, you know, as much time to have the friendships that they used to. So they, they just let it out all online. I just think, you know, and plus, you know, even the, the Zoomers, the generation under me have become so used to technology even more than my generation. So it's just, it's, it, it's just a reflex, I think, in, in, in a lot of ways. Right, right. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, my son is 15, and he connects with his friends online all the time. Like, he plays video games with them and Instagram messages them. And, yeah, so I guess it is second nature. Um, speaking of sort of second nature... Obviously, you're you're you come from a very well-known family, at least at least in Canadian circles. I'll say, you know, um, was it you know was it always a foregone conclusion for you that you were going to follow your father and your sister into acting, or or and what was the conversation you had with them like about that? <laughs> um, no, not at all. Like I I thought I was going to do something academic or become a writer. I wanted to be a dancer at one point, but. Um, 
Yeah, I came to it later because I was like, oh, how predictable. I don't want to do the same thing as my dad <laughs> or my sister. And I knew that business, so I knew how hard and strange it was. Um, but then, you know, I kind of had to come to it as an adult. So I was like in my mid-20s, and that's when I started acting seriously. And I really loved it for myself. Um, so it probably would have been a lot easier if I had just gone into it younger and was able right. to ride on my dad's name. But I did not chose that path. But I mean, in, in, in a way, I think that's more admirable, you know, and that's why we see a lot of second generation actors change their name, like Nick, Nick Cage, for example, right? He mm -hmm. goes by Cage, not Coppola. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right? Um, Great actor. I love Nicolas Cage. <laughs> But did, uh, did I did I see that your was it is it your mom that is listed as an executive producer on the film? Yes, yes. So we shot it, we self produced it, me and Zach, and we had like a small, uh, some small people who gave us like a small amount of money. And then my mom saw a rough cut. She actually didn't even watch a rough cut. She just watched bits of it, and she's like, "It's too scary." But she was like, "This looks good," and. And then so she really helped us with the post-production money. And I have to say my mom, um, even when my, during my dad's career, because they're still together, um, she has really good instincts business-wise and, and just has good instincts. So I was really happy that she, you know, wanted to invest in the movie. And, um, and it wasn't like, and I didn't need to, I guess what I'm saying is like, I wasn't like, hey, mom, can you help me make a movie? It was more like she saw something and was like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll invest in that. That looks like it's going to do well. Well, you know, given both of your of, of your parents' background in comedy, and given in a way that this is a somewhat comedic film, you know, it's mm -hmm. a satire. Did did it did, did that mean something when when your mom approved of it because because she is such a strong comedian and and so is your father? Um. Yeah. I mean, I think it just meant I I was like. It, it meant a lot. It felt like a vote of confidence, and it was also like when we needed it you know how that is with film sometimes it's like just the, we're like i don't know how we're gonna keep going but just in the nick of time the next person comes and gives us that next step and you know so that's how the the journey has been with this movie a um, lot of and i i think i saw today is it is it um you just got into was it the calgary underground horror fest yeah, Calgary Underground Film Festival. Yep, it's happening this week. So I think the 28th is the last day. It's online, yeah. How are you enjoying the, the online festival experience? Yeah, it, it, you know, we did the one before it was uh, the Chattanooga. They did it, and they did it. It was great. People loved it. People were get the response was good. We got lots of reviews. Um, I think people are really seeking places to for content and, and to have, like, you know, it's not the same as seeing it in a movie theater with a bunch of people and then doing a Q&A after, but it's at least something. And, you know, they're keeping an audience alive. So it's going well. You, you've worked both uh, in the States and, and here in Canada. And I'm just, you know, from an industry perspective, what are some differences that you notice? Because for me, it feels like U.S. is still very much studio-based, but in, in Canada, you, you, there are more maybe avenues or resources for independent films? Um, yeah, I haven't been, I haven't worked like in the States in, all, in, in like 10 years, so I couldn't really tell you. Um, but I do think that there, I think it's sort of a very Canadian attitude is like, let's just do it 
ourselves. I mean, even though I'm not really in the in indie film Canada world, I don't know, whatever that is, but, but, um, okay, I will tell you this. I think there's a spirit, which I think is good for creativity of like, the good and bad of Canada is like, there isn't this feeling like we're gonna become hugely famous. It's more like, cause most likely, in Canada, there's only so much success you have, right? right it's yeah. more like, let's just do it because we love it and it's fun. And, and I think that's why there's so much great comedy that comes out of Canada and, and music because there's this, the, the impulse to create is, it's very um, authentic. Uh, horror fans are very, um, let's just say th th there's a very large horror fan community both well in this country but across the world you know can like there are horror conventions and, and all that yeah you know in making this film which you know is in horror festivals what have you learned about that aspect of the industry the the the, the fandom side of things it's it's pretty awesome i love it's it's a great uh genre for support and for like hardcore um interest and um you know we were at fantastic fest and fantasia fest and they it sort of was like the breakthrough for us really because those audiences are are savvy and and really interested and fun so um yeah it i, I can't say enough good things about it it's awesome i'm really glad you know the the two genres that have the biggest fandom horror and and sci-fi both those genres, I think, are really big on using film as social commentary or, or using film as, as activism. This, this idea of, of art as, you know, activism or, or, or to say certain things politically, how, how do you feel about that? Should art be used for that or, or should we just let art be escapist? Oh, no, a hundred percent. I mean, that it's, it's, it's how you can express things and that people will listen. I mean, it's a really powerful medium. Like I learned that even from my father's career. I mean, he went to jail because he created a character that was, <laughs> that was glamorizing drug use. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it has more impact than, you know, something that's not as entertaining. But, it, you know, in a way, you know, you, you look at your father with, with Cheech and then you look at all these other filmmakers and, you know, anytime you make a film that is either criticized or, or really stands out, um, it often seems to be ahead of its time. Um, yes. In, in, in certain ways. Why do you think that is? And why do you think often as a society, we, we sort of tend to maybe adopt those ide ideals 10 to 15 years down the line? Like marijuana, <laughs> like, like marijuana is legal now, right? Like... What's the big deal? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, um, I think that's the role of, of artists or the role of people who are uh, thinking sort of out of the box. It's like you have ideas that other people hadn't thought of. And at first they're like, ew. And then afterwards they're like, oh, like it, I think that's a good reaction is like, oh. because otherwise you're just kind of, regurgitating i mean that's what i like to tell myself <laughs> how do you think how do you think artists are, are going to come out of this pandemic are, are 
more people gonna gonna appreciate you know film tv literature because they've been consuming so much of it even though they they might not realize the value of the people creating it yeah i guess i'm of two minds like it's funny because it's like oh they're not essential workers and like that whole like sort of the dismissiveness of of creativity and art um I think my more optimistic view is that I feel like some, I read somewhere, this is not my idea, but like in t after like the dark ages, there was a renaissance. So I feel like this is the, the part where, you know, I've been writing a lot more. I'm trying right. to write more. So like everyone's at home creating and then there's going to be this like big explosion of stuff. That's my hope. Why not? But I mean, how how do you think the industry is going to change? Because like I know both in BC and Ontario, they've you know introduced all these sort of you know only so many crew members on set, or you know cameras have to be covered, you have to wipe them down, you know you have to have like a COVID budget, this this and this. Is that going to make it harder for independent film? Do you think to to succeed because they don't they may not have the budget to cover all of that, or are we going to see the reverse happen where? it'll be easier for independent films because they don't have to, you know, it, it's smaller and more contained. Yeah, um, that, I, I'm not sure. Like, like, Zach and I are now working on something because he had a project that couldn't, can't get made because of COVID, because it's too many people. And then I was hoping to, I wrote a movie that I was hoping to direct um, in, at a cottage in August. So that has to be put on hold for at least a year. So we're writing something. He came up with an idea that is very self-contained that we're hoping to make. Um, so I think out of necessity, you, you just, you know, if you're determined to do it, you just have to go for it and, and, and work within the constraints that you have. So my hope is that people will find a way. I don't know, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, like I said, like I had a, I had a Zoom meeting with my, you know, producing partner today about you know our film that we're working on that was that you know was in pre-production we, we had a meeting with the actual liaison I think the week that the lockdown started in Toronto back in March you know and we've been doing like zoom read-throughs and zoom auditions so you know it, it'll be a kickstarter campaign so we we have a little bit of a longer kind of timeline time, you know and it's only like it's like eight actors and, and four locations so like we, oh that's doable yeah like it was it was i mean i wrote it two and a half years ago right so it was always a smaller film but i just think no because nobody knows there's just going to be a lot of conversations about sort of you know what you can do and like can we you know how many extras can we have or how many intimate scenes can we have you know so i just there's a lot of unknowns and i think eventually things will get back to normal in terms of what you can portray on camera. Um, but I, 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 and art, I, I do think artists are good at adapting. So I like, I think, you know, I think things will be okay for the most part. Um, and I think it also depends on where you're trying to make the film too. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, like, I think, um, I had the same conversation because when I was like, well, my goal was to shoot this in August and the producer I was talking to, he's like, that doesn't seem feasible. Um, 
So now I'm trying to think of something that I can make with my son who's interested in filmmaking like in the summer and then work with Zach. So you just have to find ways of like, of working around it and keeping creative. And then maybe the other projects, I think by, you know, like I think I want my, my mindset is like, let's use this time to finish all the writing projects I want to get done and, you know, work with what we have. So then when we ba we're back, we'll be like ready to go and have lots of stuff, yeah. you know. I, you know, uh, we were talking about getting into the family business and I know you also kind of appeared uh, in a weed themed film uh, with other Canadian legends, the Trailer Park Boys. Oh yeah, Don't, that was uh, an accident. How so? Yeah, what's is there a story behind that? The don't the or don't legalize it. I think it's called the Trailer Park Boys movie. Yeah. Uh, so I I hosted the 420 event in Ottawa a couple years, um, and one year I guess they were shooting at the event because there's like that big. Have you ever been to the 420 event in Ottawa? It's, yeah. It's, yeah, and I've been to the one in Vancouver for many years. So I, okay, well, Vancouver is huge, but Ottawa is a little more like, I guess, political. There's a stage and there's all these people um, on the lawn. So I guess they were shooting something there and I was just there doing, hosting the event. And then my agent calls later and she's like, hey, they, they, they use some of that, that footage can, and you're getting paid. I'm like, that's amazing. <laughs> And it's so, the trailer park boys, right? They're a, they're a Canadian institution. Yeah. So win-win. <laughs> um, you, you mentioned uh, directing. And I, I know one thing you're working on is, is a, a short called uh, The Intern. Um, yeah. What, what can you tell us about that project? Well, that um, I finished. That's the one I was talking to you about, about my, my student. It was based on my stand-up student, a story of hers, the other Linda, but it's not Linda anymore. <laughs> um, and uh, so that is done. And we, we, it was screened at some festivals. Um, and it was sort of my like tryout of directing. And um, so now I'm working on a movie. The thing I want to direct is a, a, another horror movie. Um, with uh, my son's half-sister, Audrey, she's nine, and it's about a little girl who gets left at a cottage and a crazy clown lady starts to terrorize her. And um, so, and my dad is in it, so I, I kind of wrote, and, and she's my inspiration, my muse, because uh, she's really into horror movies, and she's, she was like Leatherface for Halloween. <laughs> oh, wow. Do you, yeah. do you, did you enjoy directing? I did. I mean, I was in the intern, I was in it and I directed, which is challenging. Um, I do enjoy directing. I, I'm a bossy person and I like to be in control of things. So I think it, it, it's fun to work with actors. I like working with actors a lot. I mean, sometimes I think I, I need, a, I want to do a, a storyboard or have a strong DPs to help me with that part of it. Um, but but yeah, that's my next goal because I realize how much, I don't know, this is going to sound weird, but the, as much as if it, it's a collaborative process, people don't really see you as a filmmaker unless you direct the movie. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, yeah, there's, you know, the, the director's like, everything and then but there's so many other people right you know? right 
Like, like the like the editor just has probably just as much pull as an actor's performance as the director, right? And you know, no one thinks about that, and it's all about actors and directors. Writers are like, my my theater teacher said you have extras, and then you have the writer. <laughs> That's terrible. But it's all about writers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's all it has to be on the page. That otherwise, but like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Just, just, just in terms of like the perception and how they're treated, right? It's just like they're, they're, they're go very, away, go yeah, away. Very low on the total mall. Um, you know, you, you mentioned uh, her going. I, to, I have to go soon because I oh, have yeah. another yeah, just, another yeah, one. Yeah. Okay, um, cool. So yeah, we are. Uh, the film is home record July seventh. It hits. Yeah, like there's a theatrical release July third. Okay. I heard, and I don't even know what that looks like. Maybe some drive-ins, but I don't know. <laughs> And then, yeah, July 7th, it's going to be streaming and on DVD and to rent online. Perfect. Well, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a great little satire of many, many things, uh, <laughs> I, I would say. Uh, I encourage the uh, listeners to go and, and peruse the internet for it uh, when it <laughs> comes out. Uh, first, Chong, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. It was, it's been really fun talking to you. Well, you have a great rest of your day and great rest of the time uh, promoting this and Thank stay you. safe uh, in Toronto. Thanks, and good luck with your project. I hope you get to shoot soon. Thank you very much. All right, have a good day. Bye. Bye. And once again, that was my conversation with actress and writer, Precious Chong. Her new film, Homewrecker, uh, is available now, as she said, to rent online and on DVD. That does it for me today. Uh, stay tuned. On Monday, I will be speaking with the great Canadian musician, multi-instrumentalist, singer, songwriter, and record producer, Hawksley Workman. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Bye for now. Artists like to have a lot of sex. <laughs> <laughs>